Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on mostly Discord. Mostly Discord's where I'm going to stick. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Brandon at Way of Brandalore on X, I guess now, <laughs> um, uh, Instagram and other other places such as Discord. Yeah, that was surprising. I have not been paying a whole lot of attention to tech news or anything like that, and then all of a sudden the icon on my phone updated, and I was like, "What's happening?" And I went and I looked online and I saw everything that was going on. I'm like, "Oh, this is ridiculous." Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's about what you'd expect. And in the span of my... in the span of a week, too, they put up a new sign, and then were forced to take it down. <laughs> I think my favorite was when they started putting up the new sign, and then it turned out they didn't have permits for the heavy machinery they were trying to operate. Mm-hmm. And so the city came in and was like, "Hey, we need to shut this down because y'all are not like allowed to be doing the things you're doing." Right uh-huh. now. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile there's a, <laughs> meanwhile he has a fleet of like uh boring vehicles underneath underneath the building ready to bring the city he's, to its knees at any point right, right he's like if you don't let me put my ex up on top of this building yeah i'm going to bore a tunnel underneath city hall well i, I mean that's part of the reason that in france for example they have uh, height restrictions on buildings in paris because of the network of catacombs underneath the city has made the ground unstable. So if they concentrate too much weight in any one spot, it'll uh, everything will just fall. It's apparently it's very precarious over there, uh, even even as it is. So if like somebody put a crisscross network of tunnels underneath San Francisco, that could be a problem. You know, that kind of makes sense. Like I could see very much them being like, yeah, you know what? we don't want buildings to just suddenly collapse into the catacombs below. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now we're getting into Dr. Evil territory in terms of crazy schemes to <laughs> leverage people's fears for money. Yeah. 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 Um, I think uh, you wanted to start off this episode with a bit of a mea culpa apology. <laughs> yeah. I So I wanted to uh, apologize to our our lovely fans, our lovely fans out there for all of the bananas-ness around the last couple of times we went to record. Uh, I was recording from Alex's parents' house, and so that's why we had technical difficulties, I think, is because it wasn't my gear and it wasn't in its usual location. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am now in our new house. Huzzah! Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, with lots of contracting work having been done, but as you might anticipate, Brandon, I'm sure I'm sure you wouldn't know anything about this. Moving and getting contractors to do work in a new piece of property is a lot of things to be doing all at once, mm-hmm. just in general. 
Yeah. And you're also somebody who tends to take on more than you're reasonably able to accomplish in any given span of time in the first place. So it it really didn't help. That's a fair criticism. I think you and I had been talking about recording like the Saturday before the previous release. And I was like, what if, hear me out, Mm -hmm. we didn't do that. Well, you and you were like, like, you were like, what if I have to pull out this audio that's still not yet edited? (laughs) Well, you had been like, you had been really over committing yourself to the point that I think I called you on it like a week, a couple weeks ago where you're like, oh, because we had to do this like business meeting thing with folks. And you were like, well, we're moving that morning, but I could do it the afternoon. And I was like, well, <laughs> I think if it's your moving day, I think you can pretty much take the day. I don't think you really need to worry about being at a place for that. You're like, no, it should be fine. I'll just have to I'll just have to see. I'll have to let you know sometime in the late morning. I'm like, no, why don't you just not? Because <laughs> you're not going to have time to do that. You you overcommit way too much. Alex and I have talked about this. You, you overcommit yeah. way too much. Yeah, it's a problem. Uh, a funny story on that was that I thought I was going to go back to work the day after the move. Mm-hmm. That is funny. And Literally like 4 p.m. that day, like the day of the move, Sunday, I text work and I'm like, hey, so Uh I am not going to be there tomorrow because I am currently awash in a sea of boxes. Yeah, that was the smart decision. The worst the worst thing I ever did was when I went to London, uh, I didn't take off the day after I came back. So oh, Lord, so I got home at like nine o'clock, but of course, because of the time difference, I'd been awake for about 25 hours at that point uh, and fell asleep almost immediately, slept for like 10 hours and then got up and went to work the next day. And it was awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we have any other uh, bullet points or items up here at the top? Um, I mean, I'm excited to see people this coming weekend. Uh, as of release of this episode mm-hmm. at Queen City Anime Con. Yeah, that's in true. Charlotte, North Carolina. That's true. That'll be fun. That is coming up soon. We are going to be in Charlotte at Queen City Anime Con. Um, and I think for anybody who's uh, one of our fans in the greater Charlotte area, we'll be doing uh, a little bit of the same old, same old. We'll be running games. We'll be doing panels. Uh, we'll be doing probably some stage shows and things like that. Um, we're still, we, we have, as of this recording, we have yet to get like a complete schedule of everything. So we will uh, undoubtedly, by the time this is published, know exactly what we're doing, but we're also going to have our merch booth and everything like that. So come see us. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, at the end of the month, I can't believe it's already that soon. Uh, Alon, Alex and myself and Gabe, Gabe will also be there. We'll all be at Dragon Con in oh. Atlanta, Georgia. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? I don't know. <laughs> we don't have an event at the end of the month. <laughs> You're like, Josh. Yeah. We don't, ha- we don't, as a group, we don't have yeah. an event. Well, I'm and never, like, well, I'm, some of us do. I'm never going to Dragon Con, so I never have to worry about it. Yeah, that's fair. Because I would hate it. <laughs> it is kind of a lot, especially if you're not a fan of crowds of people. I mean, it's not even that. It's, there's just so much. Like Alex was like, wh- I was having dinner with Alex one time and she was like, why? Why don't you go to Dragon Con? I was like, well, honestly, I feel like I would just get irritated by just being there in the middle of all that for like five days, like a three day con like MAGFest and, and QCAC is sort of about my limit. Um, and especially with Dragon Con, it's so hard to stay in the con hotel. 
uh, I would just go crazy. And after hearing my reasoning, she's like, maybe you shouldn't go to Dragon Con. (laughs) I think that's perfectly valid and fair. I enjoy it a great deal, uh, but we also know that I have a tendency to put too much on myself at once. The first year I went, I ended up like on the third day of Dragon Con. I was like, I'm going to go find a quiet place to sit down Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to be there with my noise canceling headphones for like two and a half hours. The first MAGFest I went to when I stayed at an Airbnb that was like 20 minutes away from uh, the Gaylord. I had to do that in one of those little like side hallways in the concourse and just go all the way down to the end of it and just sit. And there's yeah. and you run into like six or seven other misanthropes there at any given time of the day, just sort of overlooking the courtyard and everything like that and just don't get bothered. It was really nice. I will say at the very least, I don't I imagine Dragon Con has something like this, but I don't know it well enough to say for sure that it does. Magfest has a place called the Tea Room, mm-hmm. which is basically uh, it's the equivalent of the no talking car on trains. Mm-hmm where everyone who goes in there is expected to be quiet and a little bit withdrawn so that people who get overstimulated at large events such as conventions can go and have a little quiet time without having to go back to their Airbnb 20 minutes away. Yeah, the MAGFest quiet room is actually in that same hallway that I would go and relax in. But excellent. But I didn't want to go into that room that was smaller and full of people if I could just Mm. sit out in the open and not be bothered generally. This is fair. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to some actual content now. Yeah. Um, over the last couple months, I've been picking up some interesting books here and there, uh, whether they're setting books or system books or anything like that. And I found these two when I was just sort of poking around. They're both relatively new. Um, but it's from Andrew Kolb, who's a Canadian uh, writer and illustrator. And some of you may be familiar with this already, but uh, he's released uh, a couple of really cool setting books. One is for Neverland. Uh, so it's Peter Pan themed. And then the other one is Oz. Oz came out most recently. I believe it came out in September of 22. Uh, that and, is correct. Yeah. And I think Neverland came out in 20. Uh, I can't remember exactly. And I don't have it in front of me. Um, but, uh, I just sort of got them on a whim cause they were relatively inexpensive and they were sitting on my desk for a while. And I had been telling Josh for weeks, I was going to give him one of these so we could split the work of, uh, going through them and everything. So Josh has taken a peek at Oz and I've taken a peek at, uh, Neverland. Yeah. So they're, they're both 5e compatible books, mm-hmm. which I appreciate given that I know 5e so well. Mm-hmm. But there's some stuff that's kind of specific to these books, which I was really appreciating a great deal. Um, one of those things is that instead of doing like, here's your region, here's how long it takes to travel a mile, and here's how many rations you'll need over that period of time and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew's written it to be point crawl, which is what he calls it when you're going from like large region to smaller region. Mm-hmm. And then uh, <laughs> he said you could have you could have any any of a variety of these, but he calls it local crawl as mm-hmm. the all encompassing term. So you might have like a dungeon crawl or a street crawl. 
or even more broadly, a city crawl, as opposed to a point crawl, which is like a big sweeping, like, oh, we're going from the west end of the country to the east end of the country, like this sort of huge trip. Uh, you can have it be a little more granular as you need it to be for narrative reasons. And he explains very succinctly, and I think very well, that part of the reason to have these two differentiating pieces is that you may not need to get into the details of like what exact stores are on a street and what sorts of people are in the immediate vicinity, unless you've got something like, oh, you've just encountered uh, someone who's burglarized someone else mm -hmm. and is making a run for it. Like now it might be important to know like what kinds of buildings are immediately around me, what kind of people are immediately around me, what is the atmosphere more than generally. Okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You can tell, and I guess we're gonna ping pong a little bit here, but you can tell that Oz is the second game that he's done, the second <laughs> setting, because Neverland, it's set up uh, you know, it takes place on on the island. Uh, you know, in Neverland and it's set up as, uh, a, like a, a hex crawl, like an OSR style hex crawl where, oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, each, you know, the island is divided into hexes and each hex has a number. And then each numbered hex has a corresponding page in the book. Like I'm looking at this one right now and it's, uh, Marooner's Rock. The swamp gradually turns rocky as the ground rises back up out of the water, revealing small isolated islands, like a small archipelago. And on this page, it's got information for it's got like a D20 table for encounters there. It's got D12 area of area effect table, a D12 creature table, a D12 NPC table, a D6 exploration table. And it's got a brief little explanation of the area. Like there's an overwhelming sadness to the area. When a mermaid dies, her sister is mourned by first taking her body to the petrifying well and on and on and on and on. And it shows you the adjacent hexes on here too so you can see where you're where you can go and uh the interesting thing about this is uh you know with it being a hex crawl it's it's very player driven uh it's it's very ex exploration oriented like players are supposed to sort of define their own agendas as they go through it it doesn't relieve the gm of uh all responsibility for putting together stories or adventures but it's essentially uh, designed to help facilitate procedural generation of what's going on Okay. Yeah, it is a little different in Oz. It's sort of similar, though, because you've still got, you've got a D20 encounter table, mm -hmm. then you've got a D12 area effect, a D12 creature table, mm -hmm. a D12 NPC table, a D10 mood table, Ooh. a D10 status table, a D10 guild table, and a D6 secret organization table. Does that all fit on one page? Uh, that is two pages of okay. content. What is what is the mood table? Is that like, oh, this area of town feels seedy? <laughs> so I think the idea is that this is how NPCs in the area are kind of what their vibe is right at the moment. Okay. Um, and so the mood, so like a one is polite slash rude. Mm -hmm. So it's up to the DM to decide like wh what side of the scale are we weighing on right now? Uh, a two is energetic or lethargic. A three is confused or certain. A four is helpful or incompetent. Just just as in some examples. Okay. Uh, and this is obviously this is the set of tables for somewhere that's inside uh, the city. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to being out kind of in the more wild areas. Each district of the city has its own set of tables like this. And then each massive wild area also has its own set of tables. Okay. Hey, does uh, does Oz have like a, um, a day-night cycle? Huh. You know, I didn't see anything like that while I was kind of flipping through, but I also didn't take a... I didn't go super deep because I didn't want to like try to read the book cover to cover. Mm-hmm. No, I, I understand. The only reason I'm asking is because um, there's a defined day-night cycle in Neverland, and like each location page sort of gives you an idea of the the timing for it. Like, for example, one of the quote-unquote dungeons you can go into is the cr- the crocodile, like uh, the one that like ate the hook's hand. Um, oh, the ticking crocodile. Yeah. yeah. So you can like go into the crocodile. And there's an actual dungeon map for it, like inside the crocodile. But one of the things that on the page, it's like, hey, the crocodile at a certain point in the day, like stops hanging out on the rock, sunning itself. So, so if if you are inside the crocodile and you hit that time, he's going to go underwater and then you're not going to be able to escape through the normal areas. I'm not seeing anything like that for Oz. Mm hmm. I think the idea is that a lot of these locations are either uh, 24 hour or DM's discretion could be like, well, you can't go there right now because they're closed. Right. But they'll be open at this time. Like, come on back. Right. And maybe that's something that was just sort of uniquely suited to Neverland just because, you know, especially with like the Ticking Crocodile, for example, like time plays time, youth aging like time is a very real character in in the jm yeah. Barry stories so it maybe makes sense to do that um uh, and, go ahead what i was gonna say is one of the fun things about the oz world is that since it's a world of of very common magic mm-hmm. like you see a lot of animate objects and all of the animals talk and some of the animals walk on two feet instead of four mm-hmm. um except there's only one duck mm-hmm that's, that's very explicitly outlined. I don't know which of the books says that there's only one duck in Oz, but apparently that's a thing. Yeah, there's like six Oz books, and I've only ever read the first one. Um, I've also only ever read the first one. And the Wicked book, mm-hmm. which was very good, but I think a little bit different. Did you ever see, this is very uh, related but orthogonal to what we're talking about. Did you ever see like the 1925 I think it was 1925. It might have been earlier than that. Um, Wizard of Oz film. I don't know that I did. I think I've only seen the really famous one. Right. This one is creepy. It's in black and white. Um, I can't remember if it's because it's been a long time since I've since I've seen a lot of it. I've never watched the whole thing, but it's it's in black and white. It feels sort of uh, kind of like metropolis in a way like a silent sort of a silent film oh Uh, the 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 primitiveness of the camera and the weirdness of the frame rate adds this really otherworldly sort of feeling to it which hits one way in a film like metropolis but hits in an entirely different way 
in the Wizard of Oz, it just it makes it so much creepier. And there are like clips out there where people have like slowed down like a dancing scene in it and put some really haunting music over it. It's the kind of thing I would not watch after dark. Oh no. Yeah, it's it's very much worth looking up. You can find it pretty much anywhere on YouTube, I think. Okay. I that's that sounds fascinating and terrifying all in one, which mm-hmm. I'm about. I'm about both of these things. Yeah. Now, these books, uh, I don't know if I made it like super clear when we started talking about it, but these are sort of all in ones. It's got it's it's the lore. It's got all the fluff and everything like that. And then they each have a bestiary. And then they've got all these location guides and everything like that and the maps. And uh, I presume yours also has some unique character sheets as well. Mine has a lot of it's got unique character sheets. And then it's also got a lot of creature blocks, mm-hmm. like oodles of creature blocks, as well as the region stuff that we were talking about, like tables and tables of stuff. There's a D100 rumors table near the back of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And mine has that as well, uh, along with like <laughs> a D100 objects table. Um, yep. This this book is not hurting for tables. If you are one of those people who always just likes to have a really solid table in front of you to roll on in a game, it's worth getting these books just for the abundance of those. Because you could so many, yeah, because you could just compile them uh, and use them however you like. Um, but oh gosh, what was I going to say? Oh, the the fun thing about mine is my sort of general ignorance on the depth of the lore of of Neverland because. You know, everybody knows the Disney Peter Pan story. Um, I grew up in the 90s, so I remember the Fox Kids, uh, Captain Hook and the Pirates uh, animated series. Or no, it was Peter Pan and the Pirates. Um, and like Pan and Hook were essentially like uh, deuteragonists in it. And it was uh, it was great. It was different than the Disney one, but it was great. But I remember when I was 14 I think I, the second time I went to Disney World, it was with my aunt and uncle and my cousin. And we were going through one of the rides. I guess it was in Magic Kingdom. I can't really remember. But it had like a vignette of uh, stuff going on in Neverland. And there were characters that I did not recognize. And I'm like, who is that? My aunt's like, well, what? You don't know Tiger Lily? You don't know like <laughs> the, the Native Americans who lived uh, on Neverland? I was like, no. And that's always stuck with me that there was just a much deeper lore to the setting. And then I started reading this and there is a tremendously deeper lore (laughs) to the setting. And I know Kolb has probably interpreted some of this himself to add depth to it, but the bones were all there. Right. And I just really had no idea. And it's kind of fascinating. Like, like the fairies, for example, and queen Mab and stuff like that. It like, didn't realize that was part of this. Does your does Neverland feature uh, creature blocks with like little markers beside them that are like these are important creatures mm-hmm. in this world? Be cautious with what you do with these specific creatures. Yeah, I'm looking people at people will get messed up about it. I'm looking at the uh, stat block for Queen Mab right now, and it's got something right next to it. And then there's also um, a Peter Pan stat block in here. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and it's not as powerful as I would have expected, honestly. But uh, and then there's let's see, the giant demon fairy, uh, Nukalevi, which is kind of like a 
like a Grim Reaper headless horseman kind of thing. That's got another one of the oh. markers beside it. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like he's gone to the trouble of just highlighting like, yeah, this is important for a lot of these. I wonder if that's a Dullahan or if it's something else. Could be. The only Dullahan I'm familiar with uh, is the one from Final Fantasy VI guarding Daryl's tomb in the world of ruin <laughs> that you have to You're beat familiar. to get the second airship. <laughs> <laughs> You're familiar with at least one other Dullahan, which is uh, the Rider of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, that's his name? The Headless Horseman. Oh, I didn't know that the Headless Horseman's name was Dullahan. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, that's a variety of fictional creature. Oh, okay. A Dullahan. A, it's a headless horse rider. I believe and, I believe there's a Dullahan in um, uh, Inferno or one of the books in uh, um, Divine Comedy. But I, oh. I can't remember that. I can't remember, one, if that's accurate, and two, the details, if it is accurate. Gotcha. The, the mythology varies a little bit, but there's the thing that's agreed upon is that they're always headless mm-hmm. and they're always a rider of some kind. Uh-huh. Um, but like sometimes it's like th- it's part of the horse that it rides. A, cen- uh, a, a centaur Kind of. Yeah. Except like the torso is positioned in the middle of the horse's body as opposed to like right at the front. Would you count Ghost Rider as a Dullahan? Yes, Ghost Rider is a Dullahan. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you learn something new I mean, every it's, day. It's a little, it's a little zany, but yeah, Ghost Rider, I think technically is a Dullahan. Hey, I'm of- sure. I can almost guarantee. Right as those words escape my mouth, I'm like, somebody's going to get on Discord and be like, "Um, no, sir, you are incorrect." <laughs> well, actually, Conan. <laughs> um. If, you know, lots of stuff can happen in the Marvel Universe. If there were a centaur and there's no... Re- and if just because I can't pull an example out of my head of a centaur that exists in the Marvel Universe, there's Pip the Troll. Uh, so there probably are centaurs somewhere. I feel like that's high likelihood. If a centaur in the Marvel Universe became, you know, became the spirit of vengeance, would it be a situation where they don't ride anything? Because, like... <laughs> like the ghost rider like 1 million bc or whatever rode that mammoth and it caught on fire uh-huh. would the uh-huh. centaur ghost rider have its own hooves catch on fire like the um sam elliott ghost rider from the nicholas cage movie like his horse's mm. hooves caught on fire um and like would his head would the centaur's head catch on fire its tail catch on fire and the hooves catch on fire maybe this is like one of those, like, this is one of those how to centaurs wear pants arguments, I think. <laughs> Alternate theory, the centaur climbs onto a motorcycle. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> There's this great mod for Grand Theft Auto Five. It's a go- it's a Ghost Rider mod, and it turns the player into Ghost Rider, and any vehicle you get in, if it has wheels, they catch on fire, so you can actually steal the blimp. And the little wheels on the blimp that are never actually used in the game, I don't think, end up catching fire. <laughs> that's so good. I love that so much. Yeah. All right. Well, that uh, okay. that's our that's, tangent. That's our Russian arcade museum for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of creature blocks that I wanted to highlight who are important creatures, one of whom I'd never heard of before. This is... Me showing my ignorance here, uh, I definitely have only read the one Wizard of Oz book, only watched the one Wizard of Oz movie, 
like those sorts of things. Um, Belina, the hen, who is the like queen regent mm-hmm. of all hens, mm-hmm. of all chickens, uh-huh. and apparently travels with Dorothy at one point. Really? Yeah. I mean, I guess that would have to be in some of the other books. Like, really, the only reason I ever knew that there were multiple Oz books is because there was a Return to Oz animated series in the somewhere in the mid '90s, and it it started sets up the premise that she keeps the the slippers and she uses them to go back to Oz. And I remember saying something about that, and somebody's like, "Oh, well, they're just drawing that from the other books." And I think there was like even in the credits, it was like adapted from X Y Z books. That makes sense. Uh, each of the important characters at least in the oz book have little quotes mm-hmm. so i thought i would at least read Bellina's, which says lucky for you we're here in oz back on the farm i could only say buck buck <laughs> oh, and so you would have missed out on my expert opinions oh so it's like an earth chicken that goes to oz i think so yeah okay there's a bunch of like uh, apparently the concept is that once animals go to oz they are infused with some sort of magic that makes them able to talk. Mm-hmm. And in the case of some of them walk on two feet mm-hmm. when normally they would walk on four. But I, it, it's supposed to be one of those like that sort of magic is really common. But like being able to throw a fireball is like, whoa, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. You could throw fireballs. Yeah, Oz has always seemed to me like a very low magic environment um, in, in terms of sort of active effects, right? Because really, yeah. really, you had the good witches of the north, south, east, and west, uh, because the wizard was fraud. Spoiler alert! Um, <laughs> and uh, ev- everything at like, you know, like I guess the scarecrow and the Tin Man were magic. The Tin Man was magic by virtue of the witch turning him into the Tin Man. Uh, but yeah, nobody's nobody's really throwing fireballs unless your unless your name is you know. Which of the direction? <laughs> Which of cardinal direction? Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of witches of cardinal directions, they do have stats here for like Glinda and uh, like there were two other. They he's got them in here as the Lich mm-hmm. of the South, which mm-hmm. I thought was an interesting choice. And those Liches have phylacteries. Mm-hmm which they can use to regenerate themselves, uh, which I also thought was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Glinda has an entire two-phase combat setup. (laughs) You haven't even seen her final form. No, you have not. I'm terrified by what is described as her final form because the initial phase is like, oh, well, she's got, she has legendary actions. She has multiple attacks. She has special abilities like the ability to summon guards or summon rack. Mm-hmm. In her second phase, she turns into a ruby skeleton, is what it says here. Mm-hmm. All ongoing effects and uh, end as she enters phase two. Damage or healing does not carry over between phases. And if she survives... Like, if you keep fighting her and she survives that fight, then in 1d6 days, she goes back to phase one. So, 
damage and healing doesn't carry over from phases. So she's one of those annoying bosses where you beat their first phase and then you see the health bar go all the way back up. Yep. And you're just like, damn it. <laughs> you're just praying that this is a battle that you were scripted to lose. She has 18 hit dice. Dice, you say, yeah. not points. Dice. 150 HP. That's the same as Peter Pan. <laughs> um, yeah, and her, her phase two is crazy. Like, she's got some abilities like save or take half HP and damage, half mm-hmm. your max HP. Um, half your max hold, HP. It so, says half of total HP. Oh, okay. All right. If it was max HP, then you could very easily die from that. <laughs> uh, hold four targets for one minute. Mm-hmm. There's saves at the end of each round. Right. Um, change weather, manipulate plants, teleport 50 feet. Like, she's got all these cool abilities. But I'm also like, who the hell is like, yeah, you know what I really want to experience in the world of Oz? Killing Glinda the Good Witch. Yeah. (laughs) Or or getting rocked the hell up by Glinda the Good Witch. (laughs) Getting murked so hard by Glinda the Good Witch. Does it especially after she turns into her ruby bone form? (laughs) Does it have stats for the other witches? Um, it does. I would have to pull. Actually, up. let me ask they, you this: It's, what, it's the, sorted alphabetically by name. What's the time frame on this? Does it? I guess does it take place oh. before Dorothy arrives? There's actually right at the beginning of the book. It is post Dorothy arrival. Okay. Um, but right at the beginning. So of some the book, witches should be dead. <laughs> I think there are other witches in those witches' place at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Uh, well, if you've read or seen Wicked, then you know that perhaps one of them is not. <laughs> uh, long, long ago, Queen of the Sky Fairies leaves the Rainbow Realm. Queen Lurleen shapes the land. Long ago, Queen Lurleen falls in love with King Pastoria. They have a daughter and name her Ozma. Ozma is kidnapped by Mombi. Mombi transforms Ozma into a boy, names him Tip, and raises him as her own son. King Pastoria dies and Queen Lurleen returns to the Rainbow Realm. Some time ago, Oscar Diggs arrives in Oz and takes over as king. Dorothy and Toto are brought to Oz by a tornado. Uh, They go through their particular plot. Uh, They call the Wicked Lich of the West Verdella Mm -hmm. in this story. Uh, Oscar Diggs tries and fails to flee Oz and ends up appointing Scarecrow to replace him as king. And then more recently, General Ginger leads the army of revolt to overthrow Scarecrow as king. Ginger becomes queen of Oz. Ozma, then known as Tip, creates Jack Pumpkinhead and escapes Mombi. Mombi helps Queen Ginger defend her rule against Glinda. Glinda transforms Tip back into Ozma and unlocks Ozma's fairy magic. Ozma strips Mombi of her magic, takes the title of Princess of Oz, and decrees that all magic is to be restricted. Meanwhile, word spreads that Oz is restricting magic, and this draws the attention of old enemies. And that's where timeline it is set. Oh, so I okay. think this is after either all of the books, or at least most of the books. Because I know the revolution comes much, much later in the story. Yeah, this is like 
This is like reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and Prince Caspian and then being dropped back into Voyage of the Dawn Treader and just being like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? It's like hundreds of years later. What's happening? Just the Patrick Star. Who are you people? <laughs> um, I gu- I'm guessing that the art in your book is of a similar style to mine since, uh, you know, Kolb is an illustrator and he did all the art for it. Um, I've got for the for the people watching video at home, I've got a little bit of an example here. Oh, I'm I'm trying to scroll down inside the Streamyard window. It's not <laughs> working. I don't know why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see kind of he's got this like simplified. There's a lot of like good detail, but it's also like mostly shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. There's like bread people called the Doans. Mm-hmm. He's featured uh, Dorothy Gale and Toto here. Um, dragons and dragonflies, winged monkeys. He also took time to point out that the um, the expected behavior of a specific kind of creature is not how all of those creatures will respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so he even says, like, you might find serious winged monkeys or uh loons that don't like to wrestle yeah that uh that's good because i i think when you start designing uh different species and it's very easy to fall into the trap of homogeneity which is something that i and probably most other people criticize a lot about star trek because you go to a planet and there's not a whole lot of time to illustrate the nuance of that planet. So it's like, oh, well, this race is very scientifically inclined or all Klingons are violent. And it's only later. until <laughs> you get to like one off episodes of like Deep Space Nine and stuff where you start to see like Klingons who are lawyers and things like that. Yeah. Well, there's also there's a little bit of like trying to get away from the fact that Roald Dahl is a renowned anti-Semite, mm-hmm. which is, you know, not a legacy that anyone wants to be holding on to. Mm-hmm. Um, as I as I'm flipping through trying to find one of the other witches, I did see the stat block for the gargoyles, which reminds me mm-hmm. that the gargoyles don't speak, mm-hmm. and so if you want to communicate with gargoyles and get answers out of them, you have to learn gargoyle sign language. Yeah, you showed me the page for that, and it was really interesting. It's fascinating. Um, I would like to, before we get too far away from it, I just want to ask you a question and clarify something before somebody else puts it in comments or the discord. When you said Roald Dahl, did you mean L. Frank Baum? Uh, oh, that's a great, it's a great point. Roald Dahl wrote James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, I, I think I was thinking of Roald Dahl being trouble. Mm-hmm. And getting mixed up with L. Frank Baum, who's the author of Oz. Right. Right. You kind of gaslit me there because after you said that, I had to go <laughs> look it up because I'm like, have I just been wrong this whole time? Brandon, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. Brandon. It's fine. We got it sorted out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. I guarantee someone will post it in the Discord while listening and then be like, oh, Brandon got you. That's fine. Uh huh. Well, actually, <laughs> Josh. 
yeah but talk talking about the art again um i'm a huge fan of it because like so much of what he does is uh either monochromatic or like bichromatic where it's just a lot of a lot of uh dark grays and things like that maybe with like an accent color it's it's really cool a lot of his art uh evokes kind of a uh like a paper cutout kind of feel to me because some of it has like really yeah. sharp angles and things like i'm gonna for those watching i'm gonna throw up the um neverland art really quick and i just did the same thing you did and had my mouse over the Streamyard window and was scrolling <laughs> down but yeah so it, it's kind of funny the neverland book the um like the primary color that it uses is green which you might naturally expect to find in an oz book for emerald city um but uh then it's got uh, like this, these cool illustrations of like the pirates and the fairies and things like that. It's just a very conservative, restrictive use of color uh, as accent more than anything. And when I was working as a designer, I was always kind of a minimalist. So that, that really appeals to me. Uh, and then at the very end of this book too, it has a Peter Pan and Wendy story that's several pages long. And it's, for oh. and it's formatted to look like an old children's storybook. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the art the art is yet another reason to pick this up because it just it looks amazing. The art is so gorgeous. And it's I get what you mean by paper cutout. I was thinking almost like um like silhouette art. Yeah. Was kind of the vibe I was getting from it. Because it's very much like the general shapes of things and people. Mm -hmm. Uh, without catching so much of like the intricate detail within and then just enough detail to be able to differentiate like shirts from pants mm -hmm. and hair from head and things like that. And it's, I love it. I'm all about it. I learned the history of the, the word silhouette recently. Um, and you know, I learned it on the internet, so take it with a grain of salt. If this is wrong. <laughs> Somebody can correct me in the comments or on the discord, but there was a noble named silhouette and apparently he was really cheap and it was, uh, it cost a lot less money just to have somebody outlined in shadow and rather than get a full portrait painted. So he did that a lot. And so over the years, it just came to be known as silhouettes and it, it started out as a pejorative term and then eventually just became accepted as a, as a form of art for doing it, which I thought was interesting. That is, that is pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. The, the only other, uh, lich that I have found in the book, and it's possible that I flipped past one, mm -hmm. uh, cause I may not have caught every page. The only other lich I found was Verdella. Okay. Which uh, you might be like, well, but wait, isn't Wicked Witch of the West, isn't she supposed to famously be dead? And uh, one of the things he says in the beginning of the book is that you as the GM get to decide what stories are maybe a little overblown mm -hmm. and what stories are 100% true. I think... I think it becomes, and to pull this back to Star Trek, because you stick with what you know, it, beca <laughs> uh, it becomes an alpha versus beta canon argument. Um, you know, for people like you, I can also say, star, you know, the Star Wars extend expanded universe, also known as Legends. Um, in, in, the star mad about that. in the Star Trek world, uh, before there were tons of Star Trek series on the air, the rule was always alpha canon is anything that appears on screen. Beta canon is anything in books, and it can be overridden by things on screen. Uh, but in the great drought between like 2004 and season one of uh, Discovery, 
uh, and then later Picard, uh, people had just come to get really comfortable with the continuity that was going on in the beta canon. And some of the showrunners are incorporating it now. They're choosing to sort of canonize it. Uh, so good on them. Yeah. And, but some of it, some of it is just getting completely overwritten and it's kind of a sucks to be you kind of thing. If you spent you know, years writing those novels and creating this continuity that people loved. So we Star Trek fans had our own, uh, expunging of our, of our expanded universe. So uh, we feel for you, but anyway, it feels like here you could choose whether you wanted the, um, like the wicked series of books to become part of Canon for this, if you want to. Absolutely. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility here. He's set, uh, sort of the timeline of the in universe setting, Mm -hmm. but most of that is because there's going to be locations. There's going to be like, these are the specific character sheets that are in the book, like those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. If you want to get out and do your own thing, and just use all of this as material mm-hmm. that's totally your prerogative and he he sets that up very early in the book being like look you run the oz story you want to run these are more like guidelines than something that you have to follow mm-hmm. which i think is the exact right way to write a setting guide which is i think really what you and i have here are oz and neverland setting guides yeah yeah, there's there's some story through line that you can that you can play with, but it really just functions for you to do whatever you want with it. Like when um, like w- like long after Dark Sun had stopped being a thing, um, Timothy, what's his name, who's uh, we've talked about him before on here, but he released that um, setting guide for what is essentially, uh, quote unquote, not uh, Dark Sun, uh, which it was. Uh, you know, the same setting, but it was just a complete fluff setting lore book. So you could be like, well, here, here's here's an unofficial Dark Sun guide from the guy who wrote Dark Sun, and you can use it to make more Dark Sun. Umbral Star. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A quad cream. (laughs) Oh, my word. Yeah. But these are uh, relatively inexpensive for a setting book. Uh, they're very yeah. much, very much worth picking up. They're available wherever books are sold. Um, and we will throw uh, Andrew Kolb's uh, website and Twitter into the show notes on this. Uh, but I very much encourage people to go check them out. Oh, absolutely. And then kind of the final thing I wanted to throw in um, was right at the back. And I don't know if Neverland has this. I suspect it does. Mm-hmm. There's a about the author section, a thanks section, but also a external and complimentary resources section. A cheat sheet section. <laughs> and I think this is so that you can kind of see some of the things that he was looking at when he was creating all of this that helped inspire him to create all of this in the ways that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, he, of course, references both uh, Wizard of Oz and Return to Oz. Mm-hmm. Uh, for movies or uh, I guess film in general, he references Attack the Block. Okay. Avatar The Legend of Korra. Okay. Which makes sense with all the steampunk. Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is the one that took me a little bit off guard. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I can see that. I can see it, but I was a little bit like. All of these are fairly in line. Okay, Attack the Block isn't quite in line. Right. Attack the Block is about, like, 
aliens on a small scale. <laughs> but it's but it's like Attack the Block and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Both of those, I'm like, huh. You know, now that you say it, I see it, but I would not have seen it without you saying it. <laughs> uh, for reading material, he suggests Guards, Guards, or Men at Arms by Terry Pratchett. Uh-huh. Parker, The Outfit by D- Darwin Cook. Uh-huh. And, of course, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. But, twist, uh, he recommends that folks read the Eric Shanower and Scotty Young uh, graphic novel series. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's really accessible. Yeah, it makes it very easy to pick up all of this extra stuff without having to do a ton of reading. Um, for the Gargoyles doing ASL, uh, part of his inspiration was Inspirials from Hatchling Games, mm-hmm. which I had not realized this, but that is a full TTRPG that teaches ASL and BSL. Oh, that's cool. So you and I might have to look into that because that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then I'm just going to run through names and publishers. Kingdoms and Warfare from MCDM Productions. Magical Industrial Revolution from Skirples. On Downtime and, oh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Dem- Demisnets? Demens? Demens? Demens. Demens. Uh, on Downtime and Demens from Hack and Slash Publishing. The Stygian Library from Dying Stylishly Games and Undying Scenes from Games Omnivorous. Okay, and that's all just sort of the resources list? Yeah, these are all things that he either used as inspiration or that he thought would be influential towards him building this in the first place. Got it. And uh, right before we started, you told me that he was working on a third one. Uh, I joined his Discord at your recommendation, and he said that late 2024, he's planning on releasing an Alice in Wonderland book. That fits pretty perfectly with all the rest of this stuff. Yeah, it yeah. really does. Um, and he's already like workshopping ideas with fans and things like that. Um, so you should definitely, definitely go to his website, coldbizneat.com. Mm-hmm. And I think the link to his Discord is on there. Uh, yeah, that's where I got it, I think. Yeah. Um, we'll, yeah. p- we'll put the link to the Discord in the show notes, too. It's not a big deal. Um, Perfect. I know, like, this got me thinking of, like, what are some other sort of, like, classic literature-type settings that you could do a full setting book in? Um, the first one I came up with was the Iliad and the Odyssey. I think that one could could be really good especially the iliad that'd be fascinating yeah Yeah. because you could play uh like the entire city of troy in there odyssey odyssey would be probably more interesting detail wise but it would be spread out over a much larger area and it would probably be a little difficult to play like in like sort of the 10 year time span that that (laughs) takes and another one that i thought of was actually like great gatsby I would love Ooh. I would love sort of a jazz gilded age um TTRP because if you think about it with sort of the unbridled decadence of the era it might as well be a fantasy setting. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um I was kind of thinking there's a lot of I'd have to look at what the books themselves are called but there's a lot of old lore about foxes mm-hmm. and like talking animals kind of in like the Peter Rabbit sort of tradition. 
Mm-hmm. I'd love to get something like that as a setting guide. Another thing. I don't thing, know what you'd call it, but that would be fantastic. Another thing, uh, I looked into it and in 2033, uh, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe goes into public domain in the UK. Um, oh. it's protected in the U S until 2045. Uh, but, uh, all the subsequent books would follow like, you know, accordingly after it would be like there. I'm sure there's a Narnia RPG out there and I've just never seen it or played it. I doubt it's a really high quality treatment of it. If I had to guess, there are some solo play Narnia, um, essentially like sort of choose your own adventure type things, but they come with character sheets and you have to track your hit points and do battles and stuff like that. I've got one. I think I actually sent you one like two years ago. Um, I sent, remember I sent it to you. I don't recall this. You thanked me for it. I'll find it in our discord history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but if, 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 if it's like a physical copy of something, yeah, then it's definitely in with my TTRPG stuff. And I don't always like, just because I have the shelf full of stuff immediately beside my couch for uh-huh. many years doesn't mean I look at it. Uh-huh. It was it was a small physical paperback book. But okay. anyway, I would love to see a really comprehensive Narnia setting. If anybody knows of one, uh, please let us know. I think that would be pretty fantastic. Yeah, that would be very cool to see. Honestly, uh, if you know of any other classic literature that's been turned into cool RPG settings, mm-hmm. send us that as well, because we love checking out stuff like this. Yeah, like, I, I geeked pretty hard to see Oz reimagined as like an entire RPG world. Mm-hmm. I did find a Gatsby solo RPG. I should try playing that. <laughs> <laughs> you spend you spend the entire session instead of like. Instead of like one of those sessions where nothing you do nothing but go shop and your DM is frustrated, you would spend an entire session as like Nick Carraway standing on the dock looking across <laughs> at the green light on the <laughs> other side of the water. <laughs> Did you ever play the Gat the Gatsby uh, NES game ROM hack? No. What? Um, it's called. Um, gosh, uh, it's called uh, Doki Doki Toshokan uh, something something Gatsby, which essentially. <laughs> Doki Doki, like most people are familiar with Doki Doki, that phrase from Super Mario Brothers 2, which in Japan was called Doki Doki Panic. And that's essentially like an onomatopoeia for the sound of your heart beating really fast and sort of like a nervous, anxious kind of thing. So I think um, most people today are familiar with it because of Doki Doki Literature Club. I'm not. (laughs) I I say most. You are not most people, Brandon. True. But exceptional. But so it was it was a. I can't remember if it was a ROM hack or something that was just originally programmed, but it was essentially the great Gatsby in the style of a Nintendo side scroller. Um, it was like it, the boss at the end of the first level is the, the, the giant glasses that were on the, uh, the billboard uh, and they fly around and shoot lasers at you. I'll send you a link to it later. It's really good. I'll, if I find it, I'll put a link to it in the, in the show notes, but I remember playing it years ago and it was hilarious. Oh my God. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> I think we could probably call it a night. Um, 
please remember to always telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast. Word of mouth is the best way to make make the podcast grow. And encourage folks to leave five-star reviews uh, on their podcast listening platform of choice. If it's not a five-star review, tell them to contact us so we can correct the error in their thinking before they leave <laughs> a review. Um, did, did you just suggest we're going to brainwash people until they give us five-star reviews? No, we're just going to be very persuasive. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, join the conversation at our Discord, bit.ly slash Goblin Discord, so you can tell Josh preemptively that Roald Dahl did not write the Oz books. Um, yes. Uh, Please. Yeah. Uh, check us out, goblinsandgrowlers.bigcartel.com. We've got a bunch of stuff on there. The character sheets are back up. People love the character sheets. Um, that's what people are saying. Everybody's talking about it. People love the character sheets. <laughs> Uh, and we'll also have those, uh, and, and half of them have been completely reimagined. So we have brand new art for some of them and we'll have those, uh, down in Charlotte for Queen City Anime Con, which again is where we're going to be August 11th through 13th. So come say hello. It's always funny when we run into these people who we see once a year down in Charlotte and they come up to us and they're like, Hey, Brandon, or Hey, Josh, or Hey, whoever. And we're like, huh? They're like, no, we talked last year and we listen to the podcast all the time. One one woman, I, I cannot remember her name. So if she listens to this, I apologize. But she came up to me. It was the year before last. And I was just like, hey, Brandon. And I was like, hello. <laughs> She's like, oh, we talked last year. You got me uh, to listen to Quid Pro Roll, our sister podcast, which you should also listen to. And uh, and it turned me on to playing uh, tabletop. So we got her into D&D because we got her to listen to quid pro roll. And at the time I happened to be wearing a gravy boat cowboy hat. So it was very appropriate that she came over to talk to me at that point. I think, I think the hardest I've ever seen someone geek from me doing the Solinar voice has always been at QCAC. Mm-hmm. Cause I'll just be like, somebody will be talking about the podcast and they'll be like, Oh, you guys like the podcast. And they'll be like, <gasps> Oh my God. Yeah. I'm tempted to text the folks from uh sellout to see if they're going to be there we, for, for like for anybody listening, like we keep running into these guys who have this, uh, they have this uh, business oriented uh, card game, sort of like a cards against humanity esque thing, but for business pitches. And we just keep running into them at every convention. Uh, they're like, Hey, Hey, it's you guys. And we've done some panels and stuff with them. And then uh, not last week, not this past weekend, but the weekend before last, I was at uh, gotta go fest, which was a, uh, uh, video game and music uh like mini con- like one day convention in richmond at the hardywood brewery and i walk in and there's the guy and they're like they're <laughs> like they're based out of like dc or maryland or something like that so we just see them all over the place because we're in the same general area but he's like i thought that was you and that was when we actually <laughs> were like well we run into each other enough we should probably exchange contact information so that's when i got his phone number yeah um, that's fair that's but yeah fair. but yeah we should see if they're gonna be there <laughs> Uh, but uh, it'll yeah. be it'll be like Professor Shy Guy and the sellout people. I hope like those Shy, will be the. I hope Shy Guy's there this year. I didn't look. I would that I feel like those are the two people though that we frequently end up at the same cons as, yeah. and I think it's just because we all live in the same general region. I told you, I told you about Triad Anime Con this year. I just went up to him and I explained to him why he's an in joke for us <laughs> <laughs> because in 2019 we were booth next to him. 
at Queen City. And we, we had no idea what we were doing because it was our first on the road con. And we were trying to put our banner up and we didn't know what to do. So Josh just went and borrowed some gaffer tape from him and we used it to tape our banner to the wall like a bunch of hillbillies. <laughs> and I saw him at MAGFest. I want to say that was 20. Yeah. Like, uh, Magfest, which would have been, which would have been right like five or six months later. Yeah, that would have been like five months after, after yeah. that Queen City. And I saw him in the hall between performances, and I was like, "Hey, can I borrow some tape?" <laughs> he was, he gave me this initially, like this looked like what the hell, <laughs> and then he recognized me. He's like, "Hey, you're the guy who borrowed the tape." <laughs> it was great. I love it. I'm all about it. Yeah, he was so good. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He's pretty cool. I like him. Um, His music's very good. I mm -hmm. like it a lot. Mm -hmm. If you haven't listened to it, you, the audience, you should go check that out. It's good stuff. Yeah. And he also has a new gimmick at Triad AnimeCon is when he was debuting his new gimmick where he actually leans hard on Professor. So he has like a whiteboard up there. He wears a cardigan and a tie and he gives out gold stars to audience members and things like that. Hell yeah. It's, it's very, it's very nice. He played two double shows with uh, Cybertronic Spree. And it was amazing. Uh -huh. Cybertronic Spree actually stayed on our floor because we were on the guest floor for Triad. It was amazing. And I was terrified I was going to see them out of makeup. <laughs> but then I remembered <laughs> they're actually robots and it's not makeup. So I don't need to worry about it because I, yeah, I like my immersion. You're only ever going to see them as robots because that's what they are. Yeah, like that's unless obviously unless they were robots unless. in disguise. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. I think we're done. Uh, um uh we'll catch you all in a couple weeks we'll have something new to talk about and josh is living in his new house now so we should be able to get that recorded on time yeah all right everybody have a good one we'll catch you next time <laughs> bye y'all like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you!